Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Welcome, everyone, to another weekly debrief. Each week, Bryant and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. In our debrief, we'll provide not only our opinion of the film, but we'll also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. So, Brian, what was our mission this week? Our mission this week, well, it is, actually right now for us recording, it is the, uh, the first of Black History Month. So, of course, you know, we're going to do a film that celebrates that. And we're actually going to do it with, I believe this is our first biopic. And it is another Spike Lee joint. And that is Malcolm X from 1992 with Malcolm X portrayed by Denzel Washington, which is our first Denzel Washington film. And I've been waiting for that, too. We were almost doing train. I was about to say train spotting uh, training day uh, last year. We didn't get to. Uh, but also joining us today, we have the Loose Cannon, Dion. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you both doing today? Good, good. Caitlin? Tired, but good. <laughs> so this is a film that I have not seen before. Uh, and I did want to do a Spike Lee film this month. And actually, when I recommended it, I thought you actually just blew me off, Caitlin. Because I said, hey, how about we do a Spike Lee film? And you're like, let's do Malcolm X. I'm like, oh, well, screw me then. I didn't realize did this I was Did I say directed. let's do Malcolm X? Yeah. Was it my? No, this was your suggestion. No, it wasn't. It was yours. After I said, I want to do a Spike Lee film, you said, let's do Malcolm X. But I didn't realize this was directed by Spike Lee. So I thought you were just blowing off my recommendation. Oh, okay. I don't even remember saying this one, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. All all this week of resentment. And uh, it's just a misunderstanding. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Dion, have you seen this film before? Uh, Yes, I have. I've seen it. Um, when I was younger, and then I also revisited it uh, last year, and then again uh, this week, so I can be, um, it was fresh on my mind. Nice, nice. And are you, uh, have you seen many Spike Lee joints? I have seen uh, quite a few. Um, obviously, I've seen Do the Right Thing. I've also seen Black Klansman. He's Got Game. Uh, but I have, and I'm pretty sure I've seen School Days. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. Almost certain that I've seen them all at some point, but I there's only a few that I remember with good clarity. Gotcha. And and Caitlin, I forget because I know we di- we've done do the right thing, but I forget what you said during that time if you've seen many of his films because I, I have not. I think this is probably only my second or third Spike Lee film I've actually seen. I think this is my third. Uh, we obviously watched do the right thing, and I've seen Black Klansmen. There might be another one in there, but I'm not sure. I still need to watch Black Klansman. And this is a, you know, speaking of Black Klansman, that has his son in it. And this is uh, our first Denzel Washington pick. And, I mean, we, we've we obviously all all heard of him as well. Uh, I, I Are love you going to pronounce the R in Washington? <laughs> yeah, the whole time? Yes. <laughs> this whole time? Okay. Washington. How are you going to judge me? You're also from Maryland. <laughs> I don't say Warsh, though. Well, Okay, that's because you're not a true Marylander. You spent some time in Texas. <laughs> Don't you live in and Texas? Apparently, that currently? makes you better than us. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's all about the origin. It's about where you're from, not, not where I you're. I was at. born in Maryland. <laughs> oh, then I, I got nothing. <laughs> okay, so just know that this is the first portion of our show is going to be spoiler free. Uh, when we do get into that classified portion with spoilers, I will give you a warning, so do not fear. Now, this does have some acclaim to it. 
This has a 7.7 .7 on IMDb. This has an 88% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 91% audience rating. So they pretty much agree. Uh, nominated for two Oscars, Best Leading Actor and Best Costume Design, and it's also recently got a Criterion Collection in November of 2022. Caitlin, what did you find in your research? Uh, you mentioned that Denzel Washington was nominated for an Academy Award. He did not win. He lost to Al Pacino, but he did get some love in film critic circles. He won Best Actor in the Chicago Films Critics Association Awards, Boston Society of Film Critics Awards, and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards, as well as many more. He also won Best Male Performance at the MTV Movie Awards, and he and Angela Bassett won acting awards at the NAACP Image Awards, where the film also won Outstanding Motion Picture. It was also elected in 2010 for the National Film Industry by the Library of Congress. I was looking for that. I, I felt like this would be a movie in the, the Library of Congress. What yep. film did Al Pacino have in 1992 that had him win? The Scent of a Woman, I think it's called. Oh, okay. I, I've heard of it, have not seen it. Neither have I. Dion, is there anything additional you know as far as like the uh, the reception of this film? Uh, I I just know it was well reviewed during its time and is still heralded as one of the better biopics that exist. Uh, yeah, that's that's the extent of what I know. Also, I forgot to ask, Caitlin, was this on your on your radar? Why haven't you seen this before? It wasn't, and I I still don't think I recommended this one for a podcast because I feel like there's other Spike Lee ones that I would have recommended or wanted to watch before this one because this one definitely was not on my radar until we were like, oh, we're doing it for the podcast. So I really don't think it was me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but I don't know. It could be either one. Anyway, we're here. Uh, <laughs> it's also, it hasn't been on my radar really until I found out. I think it was not until 2022 when I saw it, it was up for the Criterion Collection or that it was going to be uh, released pretty soon. And I was like, okay, I would like to, to check this out at some point. I don't know, maybe maybe I did recommend it because I have been wanting to to watch it for the show. I feel like as acclaimed as it is, it's not usually heralded as like Spike Lee's best. I think probably a lot of people forget that this is Spike Lee's film. It's just, yeah. I, it, I'll say like the first half, definitely. Uh, but once you get into the second half, I think, uh, yeah, you can you may not see as much Spike Lee in it. And also, like, I mean, I mean that physically because he stars in this as well. <laughs> but I was I was interested in this, especially because uh, I've been learning things about Malcolm X recently. For instance, two of the so-called assassins were exonerated from from the charges. They were finally it was finally disproven after all these years that they had actually killed Malcolm X. Uh, one had already died uh, in prison. Uh, New York is also. Um, I forget what it's what it's called, but they are uh, they're giving them and their family money uh, to to repay for for the damage, of course, that they they caused in the in the mistrial. And they just also, you know, growing up, at least for for me, I remember my perception of Malcolm X being like the aggressive and violent Martin Luther King. And I think that's a lot of a lot of public um, perception just kind of out. It just it kind of gets twisted. And he did. He has said some aggressive things. But for the most part, how a lot of people view him is not who he actually is or who he actually was. I don't know if you guys got the same kind of perception uh, growing up. I feel like very little it was taught about Malcolm X in general in school. Um, definitely the focus has always been on Martin Luther King 
and a lot of teachings on Martin Luther King that probably aren't even accurate. Uh, so I think that when it comes to civil rights, just a lot of it's just not very well talked about at all in the school system. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that might be by design, obviously, Malcolm X, largely for uh, for for the time he was advocating on behalf of black people, he was a black nationalist. Uh, and even though he wouldn't label himself anti-white, he definitely did believe that there should be a separation of races. Um, so I feel like obvious uh public schools and school systems probably wanted to refrain from that narrative and obviously chose a more inclusive uh outlook on race relations and civil rights activism uh as portrayed by a lot of you know the speeches that Martin Luther King held, uh presented but even that like you said Caitlin they didn't necessarily depict the full pic full picture in what Martin Luther King believed, especially toward the later years of his advocacy um, and civil rights uh, in, in the civil rights movement. So I, I think, yes, I understand in a nation where education systems are hard, uh, largely run and controlled by a white population, why they try to stray away from what many people saw as a very heroic figure, but presented sort of uh, a, a narrative or a perspective on white populations demonizing black populations. So that's that's why I think we didn't get to hear much about him other than just hearing his name being stated uh, during uh, primary school and, and, you know, during school. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. And he's just, it's a very controversial uh, subject and it's very complex too. Uh, so it's, it's one that like, if you're going to bring it up in school, you really got to go into it because it's not, it's not an easy concrete topic. And like you said, with Martin Luther King as well, you know, we just kind of get the, usually they're just like, hey, Martin Luther King was this huge advocacy for, for integration and, and peace among everybody. And they don't get into the complex topics. They don't really open it up to the to the school and and allow people to design their own perceptions as well based on all the information. So all that I was I was really curious to see which direction this movie was going to go, especially being created in 1992. This is a biopic. Uh, it is based on the autobiography of Malcolm X. I guess to a certain to a certain point, uh, but this this follows the life of Malcolm X from when he was a kid to the moment of well his assassination. I I don't know if that counts as a spoiler. That really shouldn't, but no, <laughs> that's a spoiler. That's a spoiler in life. All right, a spoiler as far as the film, but yeah. So, Dion, what did you think in terms of how the film uh, was crafted or how it portrayed a story? Uh, just your general opinion, just everything. I I really enjoy the film. Uh, I think it uh, sort of presents Malcolm X in a very authentic manner. It, I don't think it necessarily tries to herald him as any type of, you know, martyr or hero for, uh, black, uh, for the, for the black community. I, I feel like it was able to sort of divulge into some of his vices and the troubles he was having in his own life without, cause you know, sometimes biopics can, try to paint their subjects in a very um, 
present presentable manner and not really show some of their flaws and and some of the errors in their thinking and you know the troubles that they've been through uh yeah so overall i think it's very well done um i don't know if now is the time to speak about how it's sort of uh crafted but as far as how i my reception to the film i i think everyone should uh, take the time to watch it and really learn about this very historic and pivotal uh, figure. All right, Caitlin? I think as a method of delivering this information, this information about his life and what he was about, I took a lot from it because, like I said, like our history books really don't go into Malcolm X. So there's a lot of things that I just, I didn't know. Um, I think a lot of what I knew from Malcolm X was more about his, like, later in life. So, like, his, um, his things that he did when he was younger and particularly his, like, strong connection with the Nation of Islam, I didn't know that either. So, there was a lot of this movie that taught me a lot and I appreciate that. Biopics aren't my favorite genre. Uh, I don't really tend to like them and I won't say this is completely free of some of the things I don't like about that genre. Um, but I think... It was fresh. I was really intimidated by the runtime. And I won't say that I didn't feel the length, but it wasn't bothersome to me. And it felt like an epic. And I didn't feel like... I kind of felt like at times it should have been a miniseries, but I would have really, really enjoyed this as a miniseries um, just to break it up a little bit. But I think this is also very easy to break up in different ways. And in fact, the film itself is kind of broken up and by itself uh, into different portions of his life. And there's kind of different filmmaking craft things in there for each kind of portion that I'm sure we'll talk about. But I I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's not free of those trappings from biopics, but I just appreciate what I learned from it. I'm I'm with you on a lot of that, Caitlin. I this was this was very informative. So as you know, I just I just went through another class and we did learn about Malcolm X and there were even things during that time that I learned about him. Uh even learning like his relationship to to Islam, I didn't realize like how how strong it was till this film. And there were a lot of other interesting things about him in here so like as far as like a biopic you know and having that uh that goal of informing you of things it definitely hit that uh as the runtime was a bit intimidating i think this would work better as a miniseries but then again i there are a lot of miniseries out there for biopics and i don't really i, I haven't watched many i think i've watched one uh so i mean the, as as a movie though and as somebody who usually takes in movies for the most part this works and I, I didn't feel that runtime until certain parts, but it felt more like the story was dragging for me a little bit more than just the the runtime of it. Uh, and then, yeah, there's a lot of things to say uh, about his craft. But for the most part, I did. I, I, I enjoyed this movie for the most part. It does kind of hit some biopic cliches and stereotypes that did pull me out a little bit because I'm not the biggest fan either. Uh, I, I do like when the biopics kind of when they do separate, not separate themselves, but when they kind of go in a different direction, which I felt like this movie, the first half was really doing with Spike Lee. Like there was a lot more of, uh, of his kind of creativeness in the, in the, in the movie. But once it hit like that halfway point, you just kind of, you just kind of lose it and it turns into a regular biopic. And Dion, you had something to say about the, the craft of this when it started off. Yeah, actually, um, you pretty much touched on it. Uh, 
there's different sections of the film sort of play out differently and have somewhat of a different visual language. Most distinguishable is the first uh, pretty much 40 minutes of the film where it has somewhat of, um, you know, a jazz era classic Hollywood feel. It has choreographed dances. So it almost feels fictionalized uh at at the very beginning and it has moments of humor and levity that you know soon sort of uh drop off but i think it's sort of is to imply where he was in life at the time i can't speak on whether or not it was actually spike lee's intention to sort of have it play out that way but you can definitely feel like the tumultuous tumultuous energy like in the first 40 minutes of him and his youth and, you know, going to clubs and, 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 you know, getting into some shady activities. Uh, I know we're spoiler free right now. Uh, but then, you know, we do hit sort of a different style of filmatic visual language once we, you know, once he is in prison. Sorry if that is a spoiler. Uh, but, and then, yeah, I would say that by the end, it does become a very visceral biopic. And and it, and and that's why I think for me personally, I can't, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but yes, when I see the runtime, it is very daunting, especially as I'm someone who sees three hour length and I'm just like, how could this possibly need three hours? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think in the way it's crafted, there's so much, there's different energies and there's definitely different sections of the film. Like you said, Brian, it could have definitely been broken down into a mini series, which each episode would have felt very different, but somehow the film doesn't feel disjointed. In my opinion, it still feels very cohesive despite these different sections of his life playing out differently. And that way I felt like the runtime sort of had an energy to it where I wasn't getting bored of watching the same thing happen or recur over and over in the same sort of acting techniques and dramatics. It sort of shifted. So it added a little bit extra energy and push for me to get to the finale, um, which is very heartbreaking. And yeah. I feel like I struggled a little bit with the, with the visual language of the very beginning of the film, uh, some of the lighting, like the, there's very warm lighting, very like distinct tone to it. But I just, it, I wasn't really feeling it, especially with the added flashbacks, because you're already taken back so far into his youth. And then you have flashbacks on top of that. I was kind of taken aback a little bit. But then at some point it does switch. And I think that helped me a little bit because you mentioned at some point there's more criminal activity. And it kind of, Spike Lee almost shoots it like it is a gangster film. And I I appreciated that. I found enjoyment out of that. Um, and I do think that just in general, just the style as it changes and matures, really, I, I did like that. Also, the beginning of this film has a lot of... A lot of variation of of high energy. Like the, it starts out with Malcolm X's speech, speech, and it is such a great speech. And it just like it got me, it got me pumped up. Like I wanted to fight my oppressors, and I don't even have any direct oppressors. Like I want to throw a chair, I have nowhere to aim it. No, just so that that felt great. And then you get into you get into the the barbershop and 
you know, especially barbershops and, and black communities, especially during those times, just had a certain energy with it. Uh, it. It was a lot of fun. It was a great way to be introduced to these characters. Then we get Denzel and and Spike Lee strolling down the city in some zoot suits. That was that was great. Uh, we have to bring that back at some point. By the way, zoot suits. <laughs> Go for it. I'll be I'll be the first single handedly. Bryant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's all about that. You got just got to touch the brim of your hat with the left hand. That's what se- that's what signs it right there. That's what seals it. Uh, it. But yeah, like first half, they were just like sometimes I was with it. Sometimes I was like, all right, you know, it's not. I'm like indifferent. Uh, there's some there's some cuts that Spike Lee uh, plays with. There's but then there's like kind of some that I felt kind of jolting. Like there's one where we see uh, I'm not going to say who, but we see a family member of his in a padded room and then he's in the corner of that room uh that to me was just like oh, whoa what, what just happened like i, I think that kind of goes into what you were saying caitlin about the flashbacks as well i felt like we were kind of mm-hmm. having flashbacks within flashbacks and yeah it it, it it threw me off uh a bit with as far as pacing luckily they were they were really quick uh but then but yeah then the film it does take a turn and i did i found myself missing some of those experimental uh not, or experimental, or even that flair that Spike Lee has. I found myself missing that at some points. And I do have a theory as to why it plays a bit straighter uh, towards that towards that second half, or, you know, the, yeah, the second half. Uh, but we'll get into it during significance, uh, which was kind of upset me too, because Angela Bassett is another one that I was, I was really looking forward to in this film. And she ends up just being the biopic wife, uh, you know, kind of going to performances here. Uh, but for she, for, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. She was, but I thought her performance was the best in the movie. She was the typical biopic wife, but I think that her performance in this was phenomenal. And I think that's just Angela Bassett in general. I feel like she is really good at playing very intense emotions, and I think as an audience, whenever I see her performing in that way i get feel like i get affected like i feel empathy towards her characters in a lot of movies that she's in just because of her performance yeah as as far as biopic wives go you know as far as like the the stereotype goes she does she's one of the best it just you know i just i was never a lot of it was very predictable so like her performance it never it never surprised me i was like all right here comes that beat i was like i know how this is how this is going to continue so more of the story, uh, I would say her performance was uh, very strong, but as far as the story, yeah, I I feel like there is this sort of uh, biopic wife figure that, you know, is feeling uh, like a, <laughs> a secondary character, and then they express that to the... Um, to the main character, uh, the man who's typically their husband. And so, yes, there is sort of that cliche that does exist there. But as far as her performance, I mean, her performance was really strong. And I, I personally believe Angela Bassett could do n- never do a, 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 a bad performance. <laughs> Even her face yeah. no. emotes so much emotion that uh, she's just... Every time she pops up on screen, you know you're about to get a, a stellar performance. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a little disappointing, too, because the film takes a point in talking about misogyny um, 
misogyny against black women, but then it never really fully uplifts her to have that conversation in full. Now, as far as Denzel Washington goes, like he's an actor that I've been wanting to watch more of his like big films because a lot of the films I've seen with him are more of his uh, kind of basic mid-budget action films. And so I haven't really seen that much range for him. I, I know that he is a strong um, speaker. He has a very good just projection, like proclaiming, I think, that you see in this movie a lot. I think you also saw it a little bit in um, Macbeth that he did. I did see that one. Um, I'm still not fully convinced on his range because I think that he did struggle in the first part of his film with his acting. But then once you get into Malcolm X later in his white life, um, it's very strong. He's very strong at portraying that Malcolm X. But I don't know how I felt about his younger self. His more jovial self and like, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it, I personally felt he had a layered performance, but I, I, I I'm an admirer as well of Denzel Washington and I have seen a lot of his pieces and I will say uh, you, I, I can typically tell I'm watching Denzel Washington but I will agree as well I guess by that second half I I was able to more sink into the character and feel like I, I, I like he more embodied that second half but I don't necessarily think that he struggled with the first half I just felt like with sort of, again, sort of the stylistic choices that were being made during that first half, it, it, felt, like it felt fictionalized. It felt acted. It felt stagey. Um, again, I don't know if that was Spike Lee's intention to make it present like the films of the era, uh, like the jazz era, and make it feel and resemble the cinema of the time. Uh, but that is what it felt like, and it felt like... Denzel Washington was playing into that sort of campiness of uh, of you know classic Hollywood golden era f uh, films. Yeah, that's true. I think it might be more because of the construction of the earlier part of the film. Denzel had played Malcolm X in a stage place. So maybe some of that was being brought over into the movie, and that's why it may have felt mm -hmm. a bit stagey. I think in the I think he did well in the beginning. I think what kind of made it feel a little. Maybe a little uneven, maybe why it wasn't as strongest is because this was the first time that I ever seen Denzel look nervous in like actually depicting the emotion of nervousness. Because in all his films and in his interviews, like he's just he's just confident and he has that commanding presence, which is great for playing Malcolm X. So I don't know. This may have been his first time like actually learning about the emotion of nervousness, Caitlin. You have to give him a break on that. <laughs> he Maybe had to, he had to research. He went went to. <laughs> what is this unsurety? I I don't understand, Spike. So you're telling me you don't believe in yourself? <laughs> How can that be? <laughs> yeah, but uh, towards the end, I I, th I think probably like after a bit of his separation from Islam, that's really when I started kind of seeing more of Malcolm X and less of Denzel. Uh, the only time that I had an issue with the performance uh, was in between, uh, kind of when he, when, he, when he starts transitioning, he ends up in prison. Honestly, I felt like he was starting to become like the Black Joker. Like just, uh, one, just his look, like his, his hair just started going <laughs> crazy. Uh, he just started, you know, he didn't care about life. He started doing, again, like things like Joker would do, like Russian roulette. And 
you know, wanting to take over the city. And you have like this this moment where you kind of see him like losing his mind as he goes into prison and he ends up in a uh, in uh, solitary confinement. That that did kind of lose me, but that was also the last portion of really I feel like of that that kind of um, more more daring flair from Spike Lee in the film, and it gets straighter from from there. But other than that, you know, yeah, I think this is a wide variation of his performance, probably the widest that I've seen in any of his films. Granted, it is like twice as long as his other films or, or just about. So he does have more time to, to develop a character. Yeah. It's definitely a epic. And I mean, yeah, especially like the, the biggest thing you got to get right is that, that, that stage presence, that, that commanding presence when it comes to the speeches, like it really did feel like it was almost coming from Malcolm his, himself. Uh, and it was, it was just interesting to, to hear those speeches and also just hearing the, the evolution of them, because this was a, like we talked about before, this was a, a complex individual and he went through, he went through a lot of changes. So it was, it was very interesting. I think well done as far as that and seeing it in the film. Yeah. I think the evolution of ideologies was well done. I do think some, I don't know about you guys, but there were some edits in this film that um, I, I did feel jolting as well. Like we kind of got, it was like the scene was switched, but it, it started with just like a, like a fraction of a second delay. And you, you, you re-saw the same scene just for a second. I don't know if you guys noticed that at all. I don't think most people will. I feel like that is just sort of part of Spike Lee's visual language. Um, I think he's not s- scared to let you know that you're, what you're watching is not documentary. He, there's mm-hmm. obviously we know Spike Lee's most famous uh, shot that he contributed to cinema, the floating dolly shot. Um, but he definitely he does there is a grittiness to all of his films, even his modern day ones, um, where he unabashedly sort of wants the audience to feel a little bit jolted and recognize the fact that they are watching a recreation. Um I I I mean, yes, it's kind of funny when it comes to if I see that from a director that isn't in my isn't notable in my opinion and my perception i would find i would definitely fault them for it but it's almost like he spike lee has established this style of filmmaking he's known for it you expect it and even though it's just like okay that seems out of place it's almost like but it's Spike Lee and he's confident enough to keep doing it. <laughs> and that's how yeah. I sort of feel where it's just like, because <laughs> there are a lot of, and I, I, I don't know the messaging behind it. I should actually read up on why he made some of the uh, decisions he made. There are jolting edits, obviously, in those flashbacks uh, cutting but to his family. Sometimes those are, they happen so abruptly. You, you sort of have a jump scare. Um, and also the sort of repeating gunshots that happen throughout the film, sort of alluding to what you'll... And hopefully that's not too much of a major spoiler, but there are his his use of sound effects um, that sort of pop in and out. They sort of remind you, like, something tragic is about to happen eventually. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, again, if 
I can't fault him. He's made himself a name based off in a, in a style that is uniquely his. Um, and if anyone else did it, I know I would be like, that That was weird. Like, why? Yeah, like you said, there would be edits where there would be like almost like a newscaster edit where <laughs> for a second it's, it's stuck and then it moves um, at the pace you expect. But having seen his films, it's just like I respect him to keep doing it. And it just makes it a different type of experience. And that's, I think that's something unique to say from a director is he, he recognizes this goes against convention, but Hey, this is how I will do it. And, and people will know it based off of this sort of style that I prescribe to my films. I feel like this was still early in his career too. So like some things I think he might've, he could have also perfected later. I'm not yeah. familiar enough with his filmography, but I know. I mean, I didn't have any issue with it in Do the Right Thing, I don't think, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah, but no, I, so I, I, I did it. Yeah. It's just for for here, for, for that specific type of editing, it just, it felt spread out and I didn't see a, like, I, I couldn't find a common, like, co- uh, commonality in those two scenes. So I was like, why was this done? But you do bring up a good point, Dion. Like, it is slightly, maybe he did do it for a reason. Or most likely he did do it for a reason. So I have to go go out and, and look for that, tracking down a, myself. Yeah, but then again, also that's not always an excuse <laughs> because if you <laughs> have to sort of and, – and this is me playing devil's advocate and sort of uh, – it's not always an excuse if you have to sort of explain something and someone can't immediately understand what you're implying. Sometimes that is bad artistry, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, but – yeah, who know who knows why he made the decisions he made, and if 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 he did have intention behind what he did. Uh, ultimately, I just boiled it down to this is his stylistic uh, his stylistic visual language. So this uh this movie is influential, or it it does have some influence and does have some significance. Caitlin, what did you find in your influence? Not uh too much directly influenced from this, but I found I think that there's always going to be comparisons with Selma. Uh, from Ava DuVernay in 2014, just because it's a civil rights leader. I don't really remember it well enough to know if there's any other similarities there. And I know Selma was a way more contained biopic than this is. So I don't, I don't know that I personally see the similarities, but of course people are going to talk about them in conjunction with another. Um, one that I did find, I don't know if it's directly influenced, but it's the butler, I think, is very similar in its scope. Uh, they're both kind of like these epic stories that focus a lot upon these racial politics. And I think there's some similarities there. And also, just a note, this is a film that, yes, it's a biopic, so you wouldn't expect to see a white savior. But, uh, you know, so many films centered on black people still have white saviors in them and even still. So I know that was something that was pointed out in an article I was reading about how this one doesn't and that we're still trying to get a lot of films that don't have that aspect to the story. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about, actually, yeah, I didn't think about that, that this doesn't have that that white savior in there or even like that white avatar, I guess you also call yeah, it. Yeah, like um, we talked about it in, um, what was it, Shang-Chi? How it has, there's always like the one side character. Yes. That has to be there. Yeah, yeah he's the, the token white guy. Yeah, the token. Because even before that, you had Black Panther. You had uh, 
Oh yeah, with Martin Freeman. Yeah, with Martin <laughs> Freeman. But in Shang Chi, it was even like like they really like that dude was a henchman, and they really put him in there in one scene they with did. all these other uh, Asian actors in there. Like, wait a minute, what? What? Weren't you a bad guy? Yeah, so I think that is pretty significant. I guess it's more significant than influential, but there wasn't that kind of white avatar character to try and, I don't know, a lot of films try to do that to try to appease more to white audiences, but, you know, get over it. You don't need it. Yeah, yeah. also, it's, it's like, where where do you ever see the black savior, aside from magical Negroes? Oh, jeez. No, I, I, I haven't even thought about that, but that is completely true. Um, and you have to kind of think of this was made 19 in the 1990s early 1990s and also is centering upon a figure that again for a long in his beliefs for he held these beliefs for a long time that uh white population the, the white community were negatively affecting the world uh so for a studio to back this film knowing that there isn't necessary necessarily a redemption and there's they don't have that character to sort of cling to to be like well there's at least some good white people even mm-hmm. um well i guess that might be a spoiler yeah that's completely i don't think it's a big spoiler well i was gonna mention and we can move it if in and in, in later into the podcast but now that i think about it there is that scene in which uh, Malcolm X is walking into uh, the university classroom and uh, this white female walks up and she's like, hey, I've read all your teachings. I really want to help uh, make the world a better place and, and help the black community. What do you suggest I do to uh, play a part in this? And he just, without skipping a beat, says nothing and walks away. I mean, again, I don't know if it's intention, but that almost goes hand in hand to what uh, we're talking mm-hmm. about here, whereas a lot of times there is that character so white people could feel feel at ease, like, oh, maybe I am this one character who's who's who um, is a is a, a force of good and they're helping th- helping people out and they're white savior and whatnot. But this film is, is yeah, I, I think it, it was, it might, it, it's definitely a triumph that it was made during its time. And um, there's, you can tell based off um, how it was shot that there was budget put behind it. So uh, I'm, I guess Spike Lee had, he, he he's established had established himself as such a, a a strong filmmaker that studios somehow trusted him enough to let him sort of take the reins because you know if there was too much outside influence from major studios it would have been pretty much like we said with the education system it would have been a little bit watered down yeah i do think there is some conversation to have about the budget but let's wait till we get into significance for that yeah yeah and also i don't know if you guys seen the bob marley trailer recently yeah but it's coincidence that you brought that up about like the the kind of the white savior the the white motivator in these movies because i saw that trailer recently in theaters and i thought why is this guy always here and yeah it was that i I don't know if like how true it is, but in the Bob Marley trailer, there's just kind of this focus on this white character pushing Marley to be uh, t- mm. to be the savior. 
And and we do see that in other films, and it's just like in the white biopics, we never really see a black motivator. But then again, I think like you could make some rational arguments for why that is. And and this is a lot of this is based on true events. So I'm not going to call all those out for definitively being for adding that character in there. But it is significant that this or is influential that this movie did not need that and did not have that. So this has some influence on magazine and on journalism. Uh, Spike Lee requested for magazines and interviewers to send their black journalists to them, not barring white people, but for them to highly encouraging them to send their black journalists. The, I forget which, uh, LA Times, they declined. They said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, but Rolling Stones and another magazine, they did, they did agree and they sent their black journalists, but it opened a lot of internal conversations to, to magazines, to editorials, uh, even to the point that Premier Magazine actually changed their SOP, changed how they ran things. Uh, they had an internal conversation and they made the statement that, you know, if we, if we did have more black writers and black journalists and black interviewers uh, during certain points of time in history, we could have probably made certain changes earlier on and be in a better place than we are now. Uh, and they went forward on their statement and hired a black writer and a black editor for their magazine. This is a significant film as well. Oh, actually, first, uh, Dion, have you ever seen uh, anything influenced by this movie? Uh, I can't speak if I've seen anything directly influenced. What about like things that you kind of speculate? Because it sounds like you kind of have something there. You're like, maybe this was, but nothing definitive. I would say... Um... Obviously, and Spike Lee's later film, Black Klansman, uh, has quite a few and um, sort of homages to sort of how he, sort of how Black Klansman is constructed. In some of the elements, a part of that, he went back to sort of his um, how he designed Malcolm X. So nothing out. I mean, I can't really think of anything else that outside of Spike Lee that was sort of inspired by Mal the, the this this film. That's about as far I, I do know Black Klansman does use some thematic elements. Uh Caitlin, did you see that as well while watching Black Klansman? I can't speak on it because I haven't seen it. Um I think so. It's I watched it the year it came out and I haven't revisited it since then. So it's been a little bit um but I I, I think I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, there's sort of uh, some intertwining with um, contemporary issues. Uh, yeah, that, like towards the end. You're talking about the end, okay. The end, yeah. and then also, you know, based on era, performance-wise, there's mm -hmm. some similarities there. Yeah. But as we speak on it, Black Klansman did have a white savior, so. <laughs> it did. <laughs> yeah. So this is a significant movie as well. This is the one biopic, correct me if I'm wrong, from what I found, this is the one biopic non-documentary of Malcolm X. Uh, Spike Lee faced a, faced a lot of pressure for this film. Uh, Harlem, Harlem, of course, loves Malcolm X and they have a lot of respect and admiration for him. And they, when they heard about this film and they heard about Spike Lee directing it, they very much were like, hey, like, don't. One, they were like, don't do this film. They didn't want this film done because they, they felt like they were going to mess it up. Or like we talked about before, 
kind of support that perception that Malcolm X was just a violent MLK. So he faced a lot of pressure when uh, when filming this. You know, just just imagine that like you have a whole city just just right there, just waiting, just waiting for premiere day, watching you walk down that red carpet. Uh, Den, uh, him and Denzel joked that they had their passports at the ready in case it failed, uh, which I think is why uh, it's my theory that that's why the second half of this plays straighter than the first half. And he's not doing as much of uh, much of his Spike Lee flair into it, because I think at that point he's getting like really serious. Like he's like, hey, we were having fun in the beginning, but now like one, I don't want to do anything that can be seen as a bit controversial or like, um, you know, kind of mockery. Yeah, mockery or even like, does he have like an ulterior message there? Like, no, it's played very, very straight. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it, it is a smart move. Uh, but again, I do, I do miss some of that Spike Lee flair coming into the to the second half. But I don't blame him. I mean, you got that many people looking at you like that. But you know, I don't always got to do my thing. Uh, he almost is... didn't. Oh, go ahead. I say he almost didn't direct it. I don't really. Originally, he was going up against um, Norman Jusen, who is not black, uh, but he did direct In the Heat of the Night, which we talked about on here. And so originally, WB was going to go give him uh, control to direct this film. And then I think there was an outcry that they weren't using a black director and it went to Spike Lee. I don't think you needed to tell us that Norman Jusen wasn't a black person. <laughs> Well, (laughs) and he did uh, rewrite the screenplay. It's kind of interesting because the original screenplay was originally going to be done by James Baldwin, who is very big uh, black writer and civil rights activist. Um, He wrote Giovanni's Room and If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, But then he um, stepped away from it and Spike Lee came in. And so now James Baldwin didn't get any screenplay credits because it's 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 Spike Lee. And also, we we talked before about actors playing a role on stage, and then they then they get to play that role into the into the 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 featurette film. We saw that with Little Shop of Horrors, and we also saw that with Romeo and Michelle with Lisa Kudrow. And I forget the actress name for uh, Little Shop of Horror, but here as well, uh, you have uh, Denzel Washington, who played Malcolm X on stage for. I forget the title. Uh, it plays into his controversial speech. Uh, it's the roost, the roost away from home. Something about a roost. The, the chickens have come, or yeah, the chickens have come to roost. Yes. Uh, so he he did play that role uh, on stage, and then he went to play it in in this movie. And that's another thing about Denzel. He is a he is a thespian. I think you can really. I think another place you can really see that is in Macbeth. Now I, I do recommend that movie, especially if you like Denzel Washington. This is the first American film and non-documentary documentary to ever film in Mecca. And Caitlin, I know you wanted to speak about this more, some more, so I'll pass it all on to you. But this is the first high-budget Spike Lee film. And it sounded like you had something to say about the budget of this film. Yeah, well, so going back for a second to it filming in Mecca, it actually didn't film, uh, like it didn't screen in Saudi Arabia until 2022, uh, where it aired at the Red Sea International Film Festival in Jeddah. So oh, I, I didn't that was know that. Yeah. yeah. 
But as far as the budget goes, yeah, it, it did run out of budget. <laughs> it did run out of budget. Spike Lee donated needed about half his salary, over half his salary. I think he had like a three million salary and like two million of that went to the film. And he was able to get a lot of contributions from other black celebrities to help keep the film going, like Oprah. Um, I'm forgetting who else off the top of my head, but there is a lot Denzel of people. Gave up well, his check. Well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um but yes, yeah, so there was a lot of people who contributed to his film, and so I wonder too, like if some of the style is changes towards the second half is because of that. But I'm not sure. Uh, who knows? But it was a financially like it was a successful film. Uh, I think that the WB counted it as a loss for them, but I think it probably made up what it was worth. Yeah, I'm I'm sure with the VHS. DVD, Blu-ray sales, and now you have the Criterion Collection coming back around. Sure, WB yeah. made their money back and playing and in Saudi Arabia. And there was a lot Arabia. of um, international releases as well. Yes, yeah, because that was with it was after their domestic run that they counted this as a loss, and then it had its international mm-hmm. run, and I guess it made back some money. I do wonder if this would have done better nowadays, because I think a large, you know, this is a long film, and that that can hurt budgets. But we seen last year, we had a lot of long movies that made a lot of money back. We had Kills of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. Uh, and before that, you had, you know, you have the Avatar 2, all long films that made a crap ton of money. Granted, you did have Titanic uh, years later, I believe, after this, or somewhere in the 90s, that did make uh, a lot of its money back. But I do wonder if this movie would have done better today. Dion, anything you know about the significance of this film? Anything you'd like to add? Uh, significance-wise, I, I mean, yeah, you mentioned if it would have done better today. Um, yeah, I mean, sort of, you see in the opening credits, he sort of, uh, uses Rodney King beatings as sort mm-hmm. of, um, some, a, a way to connect contemporary issues to what the past was trying to prevent, uh, but as we see, a lot of the same reoccurring issues still happen to this day. So I, I do think it would have done probably better um, modern day. But it was it was a product that Spike Lee felt and uh, the screenwriter felt that needed to be released at that time. So. Yeah, because I think the, the Rodney King beating, I think, was in 1991, but just in 1992 in April was when um, the officers who were charged were acquitted. And so there is a lot of conversation and upset because of that. And that was definitely caused people to think that this film was really timely. But I, I think that this film is going to be timely whenever you put it in American history. <laughs> I do have one other small significance because we've been talking about Black Klansman a lot. Uh, Black Klansman stars John David Washington, but that was not his first Spike Lee film. It was actually True. this one because he plays a kid, a little Harlem kid, elementary student in this film. Quick little cameo, eight years old. Is he the one that says I'm Malcolm? Is he one of the ones that say I'm Malcolm X? I assume so. Mm-hmm. I. There's actually three generations of Washingtons in this. Uh, Denzel's mother is in this film as well. Oh, really? Where was she in the film? I can't remember. Oh, okay. She was the black woman in that one scene. (laughs) Thanks. I might have missed her. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Who would you guys recommend this film for between general audience and cinephiles? Dion? 
Uh, both. Um, cinephiles really appreciate the style and creativity that, at least in the first half, can be brought to a biopic that doesn't have to stick too closely to, you know, replicating reality. Um, and then general audiences, because, again, like we mentioned before, there's sort of a lack of education on this very influential figure uh, in history. And I I just think that a lot of his messaging uh, does ring true. Obviously, some of it was, you know, it 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 it, it suggested sort of segregation and 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 uh, things that could have been uh, construed as violence. But he's definitely at the end of the day, he stood for. Uh, Black, the black community to come together to empower the black community to understand their worth. Um, so I feel for a general audience, especially an African-American audience, to recognize that, you know, we, sh- we should be aware of all these figures and understand all, like, and take pride in a lot of the people that stood up to say, you know, there's value in our lives. Um, and again, I feel like that's a message for everyone to see because there, there are time, there are people that don't see that value. And I feel this is just an educational opportunity to sort of feel and, and learn how to empower your community and, uh, sort of find your place in the world. I, I guess I'm starting to riff, but. That's 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 my general thought. <laughs> that's my general thought. It's just yeah, it's it's a very um and and like he he learns that some of his ideals and what he was sort of uh projecting based off of the teachings that he took from his uh mentors how how it was flawed uh but ultimately you know, he stood for the same thing, the empowerment of the black community and to try to overcome sort of um, the hardship that had been placed upon us. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And I think you're right. That is appeals to both. I think that I would recommend this to both um, and largely because of that learning experience. And it's not that this should replace education in schools. I definitely think that we need education reform when it comes to these kind of things. But I definitely think there's a lot to be learned from this. And from a cinephile point of view, yeah, I think that this is definitely one of the better biopics as far as the biopic form. So I definitely think there's something to learn there as well. And I actually did confirm, yes, um, John David Washington is one of the students who says, I am Malcolm X. And actually, I'm looking at the frame right now. A poster of Malcolm X is right behind him. Oh, that's good. I saw, I didn't notice that when I saw it. It must be a different frame. As I would say this is for general audience and cinephiles. You know, there's a, there's a lot to see from the cinephile eye as far as the technique of creating this film. And then there's just a lot of, as far as biopics go, there's a lot of good information here for general audience. Yeah, what do they say? Um, you should know your history to try to avoid repeating it. So it's a, it's a, uh, and, and we, Does we, that actually happen? But No, it doesn't actually happen. Um, oh. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we all agreed, and me being um, an African-American myself, the fact that it took seeing this film 
to really understand who this person was. And I wasn't taught. I wasn't taught that uh, through through school. Um, I think that's the sort of significance behind it and why general audiences should see it. Because unless you are taking a class on African um, African American history, you're not getting the full picture of who this person was. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I I will say as far as my because I, I took U.S. history too um, in my college class last year, and I learned more about uh, Malcolm X that I had before. But to make sure that you know you are getting that information, especially with how how many resources we have, because growing up in in school, like yeah, we had the library to go into, but we didn't really have the we didn't have the ease of Google just putting it in, like who really was Malcolm X, and and doing that research for yourself. But this this movie is a great starting point. Like you can, I found myself researching things about Malcolm X uh, during this movie into Google. What are you laughing about, Caitlin? What is it? It's like we're not that old. We had Google. <laughs> um, when I first learned about Malcolm X, I didn't have Google. Maybe in your privileged school, like you guys got the first computers. <laughs> Bill Gates came by, like, hey guys, check this out. We had Axe Jeeves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead now and open up our classified documents. Okay. Speaking of, you know, getting into the getting in depth of things. Uh, so if you have not seen this film, which I mean, really, I mean, if you learned about Malcolm X, kind of, you may know a lot of uh, a lot of the spoilers I wouldn't be talking about anyway. Uh, but if you don't want to be, you know, if you still don't want to be spoiled, stop here. Go ahead. Watch the movie. Come back. Uh for everyone else, hey, continue on through with us. So where do you guys want to start as far as spoilers? I mean, we can talk a little bit about um, kind of when he starts to become disillusioned, I guess, with the Nation of Islam. Because I think that was something that was significant and something that I found interesting in the film. Because that wasn't something that I really knew much about. At all. Um, I mean, I've obviously have heard of it before, but I've not really heard much about it and Malcolm X's connection to it. Um, And for me, I think when he first is kind of in the film, I think it happens differently in real life. Um, So let me preface with that. Uh, When he kind of becomes introduced to that religion and kind of adopted into these teachings, I was skeptical because I think that I'm skeptical of religion in general that preys on the vulnerable. And so I really didn't know what to think through a large portion of this film. And then also hearing about um, the ways in which they viewed uh, black women and marriage in this film and just traditional subservient gender roles for women. I just, I... I didn't really know where it was going because I just wasn't familiar with the history. So then it was interesting to kind of have that switch and see that switch where he's kind of realizing these things that were off about this uh, movement in society. So I thought that was very interesting to watch. Yeah, I found that that part to be probably the most interesting part for me, especially how he... Uh, especially like how he kind of separates from it as well. But as as he's getting involved into it, I didn't really know that there was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know the nation of Islam, like they had a representative, like there was a head. I didn't know Mm -hmm. it was a religion that, I mean, I guess it'd be like kind of equivalent to the Pope, to the Pope almost, but it seemed like it was more of a a closer level 
like anybody could go ahead and, and meet him. Uh, I didn't know about a lot of the a lot of the teachings. Some of it I knew. Uh, I didn't know about the you know what they said about women, though it just seems like a very kind of old fashioned approach. Uh, but what I also found really interesting was how they started having conflicting views between him and and Malcolm and kind of how Malcolm they viewed Malcolm was going too far with what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And and then they started to have because that's one thing like I always heard about how, uh, you know, his, you know, getting to another spoiler, his assassins were Muslim. And I don't know why, but I never looked into that to see why, like why were why were they the ones that had assassinated him? Like you would think that it would have been somebody else, uh, but now like, are they considered Muslim? Sorry, uh, or yeah, are the, they considered Muslim? Yeah, they are. Okay, I wasn't sure because I, I mean, obviously, this is a very different Islam than other forms of Islam. Yes, so I wasn't sure if they went by the same terminology in that regards. Y- yeah, I mean, yeah, I so had... that that informed me on it. I mean, I had some awareness. I did have some family members that were part of the Nation of Islam and um, decided to leave. Um, So I did have some awareness on it. Uh, What was interesting in the film, like you mentioned, is sort of Elijah Muhammad sort of being this sort of self-appointed prophet and wanting to... I, 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 I really... Uh, what was interesting about it was to see sort of the, I'm trying to think of the word at the end of the day, he, when Malcolm became sort of the spokesperson and, and people started seeing him as an influential figure, the jealousy that sort of set into, uh, Elijah Muhammad, um, because at the end of the day, he wanted to present himself as this heavenly being himself that was really interesting and sort of you know sort of encapsulated my criticism with a lot of religion uh when it comes to the people they appoint to be their um sort of figureheads that have this almost celebrity status to them mm-hmm. so that was interesting to 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 see because you could clearly see the jealousy that was setting in and that ultimately did lead to Malcolm X's demise is that people took so much offense to him blazing and 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 sort of having his own perspective on 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 the religion and his and and developing his own take on his his values and principles that sort of went against what Elijah Muhammad wanted to ultimately control. He wanted to control the minds and indoctrinate people. And you mentioned preying on the vulnerable as being a very concerning part of some aspects of religion. And you saw that. You saw that here. And you could, in, in, in thematically and in how they shot Elijah Muhammad, he, he gave off a sinister feeling. Like... Even in the moments when it seems like he's comforting or, or being genuine with Malcolm X, it's just this this uneasy presence to him that exists. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was interesting because I didn't I didn't know much outside of knowing sort of the ideals that the Nation of Islam had. I didn't know that they had this 
self-appointed figurehead, or I don't know if he was self-appointed or if someone uh, chose him to be the, um, the, the spokesperson or the prophet or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, sorry. I'm rambling at this point. I, I did think it was interesting, too, how, like, afterwards when he's distancing himself from that he doesn't give up on islam completely he still has this sense of um i guess spirituality i guess you can say to him and so i think that it was a maturity and it's finding something that works for your ideals and kind of using religion to help build who you are and shape who you are but not in a way that completely determines all your faults and actions so he still had that sense of individualism i guess you can say i always wondered too how we how like the the muslim religion or the islam religion got into the to the black community and hearing malcolm x speak of it and how he how he directed and related it to to the issues of the black community i see why a lot of people you know uh a lot of people adhere to to his teachings and were were attracted to it. So I've, I, that's part I've also found about the interesting about the the religion. But yeah, it's always I don't know. Anytime you got somebody like appointed like that, and it just just get an odd feeling about it. I'm guess you know obviously from from history and all the things that have happened with religion, unfortunately. But you can't help when he's when he's there. And you you were right, Dion. Like kind of it does have like a sinister, maybe like a kind of um, cautious feel to it. I'm reading that uh, he was a self-proclaimed messenger of Allah himself. Oh, yeah, okay. so I know there was one leader before him. He's like the second leader of um, the Nation of Islam, which of course is very different than other forms of Islam where Muhammad is the final prophet. So it, it's definitely two very different takes. Right. I'm guessing it's also like, I mean, you have different branches of, of Christians as well. But I don't know if any have like that much of a distance as that does. This seemed to have a very, very big difference. Um, I'm obviously not an expert on either versions of Islam, but from what at least I was reading, it seems completely different. Yeah, I also I didn't realize that he was just the second because this movie does mention a past leader. So I was thinking, okay, maybe this is like, you know, just maybe this is the way the religion works and just throughout history again, like the Pope. Uh, But yeah, hearing it, it's just the second one. Yeah, it even makes me a little bit more suspicious and does sound more like a self-appointment. I mean, I guess we can talk about the assassination. I I mean, that's probably like the biggest spoiler in here if you don't know about Malcolm X, which I don't know how like that would have gotten past you. But I don't know if there's anything you guys have to comment on it. Really, it's just for me, it's just it was the assassination scene. Yeah, for me, it was it was it was visceral. And, um, you know, when you. you when you spend that much time with a character, the film being three hours and 21 minutes, and then we're uh, following this person's journey, you grow this attachment. And and like we mentioned before, you see the maturity developing and him under getting a better sense of the world to be then shot down. One, uh, you know, and the way we know it's present or how it occurred with his family being present and watching and you know it's even more melancholy because at the end of the day he stood for black empowerment and and that's sort of what the nation of islam was also 
trying to say that they believed in as well, but then to commit this act of cutting down another black man because he's starting to take the spotlight and 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 divert away from what what they wanted to be the status quo. It was just very very heartbreaking. And I know every time I see it, it's it never gets easier to watch. Um, and the scene is very graphic. Um, it, it, it definitely depicts the horror and the realism of sort of being there. So yeah, that's, that's how I feel. And it, it leaves a, it leaves a, a impact. It leaves a, and you know, and also everything that plays out and, you know, uh, Spike Lee has been very good at sort of since uh, do the right thing, sort of shooting those mob scenes in which chaos mm-hmm. is ensuing and 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 all all senses are firing off like visually and audibly, and I would say that that you you're left with a hole once that scene happens, and then also the build up to it, where mm-hmm. you know he 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 recognizes that he's facing death. Um, there's sort of the foreshadowing where he says, yeah, we don't want anyone to be frisked, frisked at the door. Uh, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. And, you know, it's, it's such a contrast to it. Like we said, like the first, first 30 minutes where there's all this humor and levity and choreographed dances and whatnot. It's, it's such a departure from it. Um, it's heartbreaking. I think it's very, very well done uh because you don't want to shy away from the reality of what happened and that's my take on it Caitlin? yeah i agree i think that visceral is a good word for it and then once again uh given angela bassett her flowers because her grief was just so intense that it really felt like grief you felt like grief in that moment um and it was heartbreaking and uh, you mentioned the moments leading up to it i think that was very well done i think that's something with um the sound design too helped because it felt it felt very quiet i mean of course you had that uh, music moment with a change is going to come by sam cook uh which i thought was very beautiful but then you have this kind of quiet tension to it and it almost feel like I don't want to say I don't know. I don't know if I would go as far to say that he it felt like acceptance from him. But I feel like the film itself was accepting what's going to come and it felt just very intense in those moments leading up even before it actually happened. Yeah, it definitely felt intense leading up and. No, we we know that this moment is going to happen. The moment that we put on the film, we know it's going to go up here. So to like still extract emotion from the audience like it did, definitely props to to Spike Lee and everybody else involved with that. Because to me, like one thing I was like the biggest thing I was saddened by was not just the death, but also just the the shortening of his uh, of his mission and knowing like what more he could achieve, especially when he was on at this point such a you know, such a complex but very focused uh, path that you you could see a lot of greatness coming from, uh, and then also him with the the possibility of him working with other civil civil act leaders such as MLK, like what, what those two have, could have done together uh, if um you know if they did have the chance. 
Uh, also, the way that he was gunned down, like I know he was shot, but just the added effect of the other two coming in and shooting him even more while he was on the ground. Uh, that's what really got me. You know, it wasn't that first shot. It was, it was that afterwards, just like just the determination in that assassination and the brutality of it, I think, was was really honed in from that. And of course, it was Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dang it. Like, as soon as I saw him, I was like, huh. No, it's just the hypocrisy of the fact that, you know, the nation of Islam were using him to sort of uh, propagate his sort of their, 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 their message of bringing the black community together. And, and it's the hypocrisy that's just revealed by that moment. Um, it's just tragic. It's really tragic. And, you know, in like you said, the shortening of the fact that he started to have this greater world view uh, and, and, start preaching more about progress and, and, and instead of separation. Um, it's just, it's just sad. And knowing that this happened because to say, you know, we know Martin Luther King was gunned down and gunned down by a white person. It's almost more expected, especially during the time, but to have, have Malcolm X cut down from, a com- the community that sort of semi embraced them and pushed them to the forefront. And then once they weren't having their, uh, they weren't having their agenda fulfilled and they just wanted to kill his own, um, sort of progressive new outlook. It's just, it's just a very tragic and, uh, sad aspect to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. Anything else you guys want to talk about while the spoilers are up? Um, I do want to speak about uh, the interesting incorporation of um, sort of the wiretapping, just to sh- signal that. I don't know. I just I just found that. Do you feel that was necessary? Because obviously it can't be 100% verified, and it's just alluding to this other um, aspect that, could may or may not have been occurring in which you know and one of those agents uh so to give more context for people that's listening uh if you haven't seen it but this is spoiler so whatever um there's instances where you we see that possibly uh the fbi are listening in on malcolm x um and we know through uh, sort of theories and 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 history that a lot of pivotal uh, figures in sort of civil rights and black national movement were being surveilled. Uh, there was no direct payoff in in this film per se, but it suggested to this other um, sort of antagonist or. Uh, another uh, enemy of Malcolm X because we know ultimately he is gunned down by the nation of Islam and some of their representatives. Uh, but the film doesn't, sh- it sort of hints at this other, um, this other agency that is also working to tear down Malcolm X, which is uh, the FBI. And in, in one of them, there's like this subtle nah or subtle, um, little 
nod or, or whatever. There's a subtle suggestion that maybe they pay, played a part in also Martin Luther King's assassination because one of them goes, compared to King, this man's a saint. <laughs> so, so also suggesting that they're probably listening in on MLK and that might lead to his demise. Um, do you think that added or deterred from sort of the sort of the self-containment of the story? Okay. I mean, I feel like I don't think it detracted from anything. And I think that because in real life, there is speculation about it. There is um, investigation into it and, and still questions about the whole story, um, even in more recent history still. And so I think that it added, I think it was just realism for me. I don't think it detracted from anything. Yeah, I think with a with a biopic, you have to remember too, like it's, like as far as the story structure go, it it's not. I don't, I don't want to say restricted. I think like in a story, in a in a, in a fictional narrative, like yeah, like why was this in here? Like this didn't do anything for the story. But in a biopic that's providing information, uh, I, I do think it is worth mentioning. Could they have cut out a little bit? I think so. Uh, you know, I kind of got the message that they were listening in. Uh, I don't think I need it as as many times. Uh, but also, I think it is it's. You know, he had that chance to put that information out there and inform people of that. Again, especially in the 90s when information wasn't as, uh, what's the word, as accessible as it is now. Uh, that's a good time to, to say like, hey, this, you know, even if Islam didn't take him down, there was this other enemy here as well that may have, you know, that, that could have done something. I think another spoiler is just the um, Nelson Mandela cameo I thought was interesting. Where was that? Um, at the very end. Uh, and so this was, he is relaying a speech of Malcolm X's to like a classroom of kids in South Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and the cameo itself, it did take place shortly after his release from prison um, in 1990. So I thought it was was interesting. And I think too, it's, it's interesting because I think that there is a message of colonialism. I think he mentions it as mental colonialism in the film. So I think tying that to um, apartheid South Africa, I think was an interesting link that the film made. Yeah, I think this movie did a good point of making it, uh, of displaying this issue as an international issue and showing the the impact on on a level that outreached just our nation. And if we could also briefly speak about the scene in which they filmed at, in Mecca, oh, um, definitely my favorite, like, <laughs> uh, uh, sort of section of the film, um, shot beautifully, um, shot on location from just a technical standpoint, and then also the visuals that were uh, that were captured during the, that 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 section of the film. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, from you know, for most of the film, we're we're dealing with a lot of from a filmmaker side. I know we're dealing with a lot of sound stages and backlot cityscapes, and I know there are some um, on location uh, sh- scenes f- from Harlem and from Chicago. Uh, but to to have this, br- it's su- it's it's done on such a grand scale uh, when they do film. Um, uh, film on location in the Middle East. Uh, that it's I just I I just I, I just love that part of the film, and then also him 
sort of having a more visceral and a more humanizing. I that's that's also what appeals mm-hmm. to me. A more humanizing um, sort of demeanor or or or, or portrayal. Uh, more humanizing portrayal during those scenes because he opens up and he he feels a bit vulnerable and he starts questioning a lot of the ideals he held uh held on to firmly it's just a beautiful um a beautiful turning point uh for the film uh both visually and then also um uh like dramatically yeah and they almost didn't let a uh, spike lee go over there. They're like, hey, you can do this in New Jersey or on the Jersey shore. It's like, nah, we, we got to go over there. So I think he definitely took advantage of the opportunity to be over there. Uh, I don't he- know if he was there. Um, I know they had to use a second unit because oh, okay. um, only of the religion are allowed to go into Mecca. So props to that second unit. Yeah, definitely. They, they did what they had to do and more. Uh, and I, I think it is probably one of the most, like you said, it kind of, humanizing and, and showing his vulnerability uh, into into Malcolm X. And this is probably the moment of the film, too, that I admired him even more. Somebody who is able to ref, uh, self-reflect in such a way and go through, you know, like this was their big changing point. And he remained open-minded and intelligent enough to to just seek seek out the answer regardless of, you know, his, his loyalty or his his thoughts before. Yeah, and you know, throughout the film, uh, he's 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 sort of projecting this ideal of like the white community, white community being the oppressor. Um, and then during that section, you get this moment of unity and what the world could be if um, we know, like like. It, the Middle East does have <laughs> its own uh, issues, and, and and there there are problems that exist. Uh, but just the suggestion of unity, and it's portrayed as a utopia in which all man sort of comes together and and embraces each other. Um, it was just heartwarming um, to see a glimpse into what could be the end goal um so yeah i just i just it's it, that that section of the film is such a departure uh from the rest of it but it it's necessary it's necessary because whilst he's reflecting and I, the visuals to the audience is also it, it's also suggesting okay maybe there is something to uh the point of what a lot of civil rights leaders are are looking for which you know um uh, uh Malcolm X once called Uncle Tom's and uh and Benedict Arnold's sort of portraying the black community uh and him just having this sort of this realization or this um epiphany that you know yes there there's still the issues of the past and 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 we still need to be um uh sort of we need to you know we we can't forget about that but just the suggestion of unity was very beautiful i guess that's ultimate <laughs> i'm trying to say caitlin anything you like to add no i don't have anything else okay. do you guys believe this movie holds up yeah <laughs> um i think we talked about already how unfortunately it is always going to be timely 
you know, just how our society is, unfortunately, um, as far as discussing racial violence and why we need uh, leaders like this even today. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, as far as that goes, it, it holds up. But I think the filmmaking holds up, too. Um, I think that maybe some of the things in the beginning don't hold up quite as much, where you kind of have that more um, stylized... 90-ish uh, vibes to it um, but I don't think that it really detracts and and that's only for such a small part of the film for me so I think it holds up yeah I agree with everything Caitlin just said I think it still holds up and that probably you, you mentioned earlier another film hasn't been made because I don't necessarily think how you how you sort of tell the story um, even further uh, or uh, obviously there's more to Malcolm X that isn't portrayed in the film and there are embellishments within the film, but it's just so well crafted that it's just one of the classics where, you know, you don't re you don't really need to revisit it. And, um, and then holds up on the fact that, yeah, he will always be a very prominent figure in history. So especially in black history in Black audiences should definitely, you know, no matter when, and like you said, it will always stay timely. So there's not, it's it's a historical, it's a historical film. So it's always going to hold up. It's always going to tell the story of a, of an icon. Yeah, I I agree with you both. I mean, you could probably not probably you most likely will get more information from a documentary, but I mean, there's a reason we have uh, have biopics. Uh, and yeah, for all the reasons you guys said as well, this is this this holds up. Where do you guys rate this film on a letter scale, Dion? Um, are plus and minuses? I forget. Are those? A, I would say yes. Plus minuses, minus plus. Yep. I would say a minus. Um, I mean, again, like stylistically, the first few scenes are divisive and can or can be divisive, uh, but overall impact of the film and then the recount of a, of an important figure i i think it's there and i there there's not too much else i can necessarily be upset about caitlin yeah i was also gonna give it an a minus for the exact same reasons um yeah i had some issues with the style a little bit in the beginning and and sometimes the pacing wasn't the best and like we said it does fall into some biopic traps but i I mean i gotta give it to it because i i learned something and i think that the performances were really good and i I think that it is an important film and you know i want to provide something new but well i kind of i'm going to give it the the, for the grade that i'm going to give it is for the exact same reasons you are but for those exact same reasons on at least my scale standards whatever uh, it comes to a it comes to a b but it, okay. it's for all the all the same reasons that you guys had just stated yeah that works i didn't need your approval <laughs> <laughs> another because i did mention that uh, Black Klansman was a little bit influenced. Actually, those car scenes right before his assassination do make a reoccurrence in Black Klansman. Um, oh. I forget where they're driving to, but I do remember pretty much shot the exact same way. Um, but sorry, I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> it came to the top of my head. No, that no, was good. <laughs> All right, well, next week we are going to continue Black Hair's Three Month by doing Footloose. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, uh, so I'm not sure how accurate that is. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> or Greece. Why not? Yeah. Uh, no, actually, next week is the anniversary of Footloose. Uh, we're also going to have a guest with us on the show as well. Uh, so make sure to join in for us uh, next time. Till then, if you guys want to, you know, if you guys want to share your opinions, uh, if you want to ask us questions, if there's, you know, we said a lot of things and we, we gave our view on some sensitive topics as well. If there's anything that you would like to say, anything that you would like to question, Caitlin, where can they get in touch with us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen, But on Twitter and Instagram, that's OpSilverScreen. You can also find us on our personal letterboxes if you want to see what else we're watching throughout the week. Maybe take a look at reviews on films that we don't get a chance to talk about on here. You can find me at Coffee Spoon Kate. That's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T. And Bryant, he's at Swank Seal. That's capital S, capital S. And Dion, where can they find you? Uh, give me a second. <laughs> I'm going to look at my, my letterbox username. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. All right. Um, is it just Dion Griffin? <laughs> that happened with, with Daniel as well. He's like, is this just my first and last name? I guess it, it, I guess it is. Uh, yeah, you can change you, it. Well, it's too late now because I'm about to tell people <laughs> to go to it. Yeah, you can look at my... Uh, yeah, you can look at my letterbox. Um, it's just simply my name, Dion Griffin, uh, D-E-O-N for the first name. And then also feel free to check out my website, filmsbydion.com. And is there anything that you've been working on or anything that's going to be released soon that you'd like to promote? This year, I have a new short film that uh, will finally start hitting the film festival circuits. It's called Ultra Black. Um, I feel like I gave a brief description on a previous episode but it's a short film of mine that follows and caitlin actually produced uh where it follows a nerdy black teenager named timothy mccray who is constantly told by his peers that he acts white and he he i don't want to say okay he, he's told by his peers that he constantly acts white and he fears that he's going to lose his racial identity when he notices that he's actually starting to lose skin pigment because of the characterization so uh yeah uh follow donut guy productions on facebook and on instagram to learn more about uh screening opportunities are you still accepting donations no, we're no longer accepting donations. Uh, but the film is nearly complete. I think it's just ultimately paying for licenses and uh, final sound. And so, well, till next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Caitlin. Bye. See you.